Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages. All right, um, John 12. I um, see John was in his, in his um, colloquial language here when he wrote this. He was like, so, six days before the Passover. <laughs> Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had died and whom he had raised to dead. So they made him supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Like, just how crazy is that picture? Just think about it. He, he, in the previous chapter, Jesus had la- raised Lazarus from the dead. And then he went away and he's come back now and they're having dinner with Lazarus. Like, it's such an ordinary family dinner time, Right? Like, imagine the first day Lazarus got up from the dead. What was that like? He came home to dinner, and his mom's like, how's your day? It's like, oh, Jesus raised me from the dead. She's like, I take a shower, dinner's ready. <laughs> like, I was just trying to see what this... <laughs> so Jesus comes to dinner, and there's Lazarus. He's at the table. Um, quite a story. And, and also what's happening is there's these crowds of people gathering outside the house still... You'll see, you'll see it in, like, if you read the rest of, of John 12. So it's kind of like the paparazzi outside. They're not there for Jesus, the Bible says. They're there to see the guy who got raised from the dead. So they're there to see the, the latest spectacle. The disciples are at the table, and they're having dinner, and the next minute the whole house smells like designer perfume and they're like what's happening and they check under the table and there's Mary at Jesus feet I don't know if they're at a table just kind of trying to picture what's happening and John uh, or Judas is there and he's like hey we should give that to the poor why because what she poured out was half a liter of perfume Anyone know what perfume costs? Okay, hundred. I I know. I've I I've been at Christmas. Like, I want that bottle, and then they give me the price. I'm like, okay, let's go with it. I'll take the smaller one, please. This. <laughs> so 500 ml is like the biggest one that's not normally on the shelves. It's half a liter of it, and this pricing, I checked it out, is 10 times more expensive than what you currently get. And she takes half a liter of it. So it's like equivalent today of about 200,000 rand that she pours out. So obviously Judas is like, you know, we really could have given that, you know, sold it and, and given that to the poor. Jesus is like, stop it, man. And, okay, I don't, I don't know, how Africa, you know, Lossa 8, you know, he's like, let her be. He's, he's just, he's, he's saying, let her be, let her, let her do what she's doing. And so we know she pours out this oil on his feet and then washes it. It's very difficult for me as a man to relate to the story going on here behind it. And John's sitting there, he's thinking, 
thief. Well, you know, because Judas, he knows he's, he's a thief. Or later on found out, hey, this guy was a thief. He was stealing from, from the purse. And, or the, whatever it was, they carried their cash in. But I just, I said, God, what are you saying to us this morning through, through the story? Because I always, I ask God, where, where, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to, to, to hear? What do you want us, what do you want to say through, through your word? And in Corinthians, it, it says that the, the hair of a woman is her ornament and her glory. So, how many of you ladies are like, yes, amen, preach brother? (laughs) It's like, there's something about a lady's hair. Yeah, yeah, there's a good husband there. (laughs) There's something. There's something that, that, you know, we don't, as guys, I mean, Jonathan doesn't get it. It's like, <laughs> you know, there's just, there's, there's glory there. But speaking to all of us in the room, it, it's, it's really, it's her best. It's, she brought the best of who she is. And I was thinking about why she had the perfume. Jesus said she saved it and stored it up for his burial. And yes, yes, Mary, maybe she bought that perfume for herself initially and and maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to her. Maybe there was an unction. I need to, to save this. But what I do know is this family's been on an emotional roller coaster. They've lost their brother. He died. They spent three days mourning him. He got raised from the dead. They're overnight um, famous people is another word for that. Celebrities in their town. They can't open or close the door without crowds being outside. Here's Mary, and she's looking at Jesus And she realizes, or she knows, this is Jesus, the Son of God. It's so hard to portray when, I mean, we read that scripture where Jesus is like, who do you say I am? And the disciples are like, even debating about it amongst themselves. And Jesus said, it's it's only the Father who can reveal that to you. That I am the Christ. So, so something supernatural needed, needed to take place in a person's heart to be able to recognize who he was. And it wasn't the miracles. It wasn't the signs and wonders. Because the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus raised from the dead, ach, Lazarus raised from the dead, they wanted to do kill Jesus and Lazarus again. And when Lazarus' life was testifying of Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus again and again. So, 
It's not this power on display that brings the heart change. It's the Holy Spirit's deep revelation inside that says this is Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. And she took what was most valuable and she poured it on his feet. And I just, as I sat thinking about it, I I saw the picture of how Jesus was first washing his disciples' feet. He was first serving. And she said, how can I serve Jesus the best? And she anointed him with her perfume. And then she took what was her best, her glory, and she served Jesus with it. It's powerful. It's powerful, it's powerful, it's powerful. And then you, you link that to the rest of John 12. And there's two things here. That there's two main themes that there's a whole lot happening in John 12. But two that I, I just saw. Verse 25, it says, anyone who loves his life will lose it. And anyone is, who hates his life will keep it. If anyone serves me, he must continue to follow me. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So there is, in our lives, there is a desire to be honored, right? There is a desire to, anyone not want to receive honor? Okay, so I'm preaching to the right crowd. Okay, in a way, we want to be affirmed. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be known. We know that because when children grow up and they aren't affirmed in their identity, damage happens. Something takes place. So the opposite is then true. When we're affirmed and acknowledged, we continue to grow stronger in our identity. We grow stronger in who we were created to be. One of the best ways to build trust in a relationship is to listen is to understand, is to affirm, is to acknowledge. So Jesus is saying, if you give away what is yours and you serve me, then my Father will honor you. So much more powerful, so much more stronger than you serving yourself. And then in verse 43, it says... Um, for they loved the approval and the praise and the glory that came from men instead of and more than the glory that came from God. In the Amplified it says they valued their credit with men more than their credit with God. Speaking about the Jews that having seen Jesus and having realized that he was actually the Christ were too afraid to say so. Too afraid to to acknowledge it. They were more afraid of their peers and what their peers would think of them. Anyone been in a situation where you need Christ to stand in you right now? And this little voice comes up and you go, just singing this morning. I saw the trembling. Serving Jesus in front of people without 
fear. That's a prophetic act that takes place in a safe place in church. And Jesus is calling us to serve Him with our best. So what there is this morning is, is just, Jesus, what are my motivations? What are, what, are the, what are the decisions I make? How do I make them? Am I bringing my best? Have I saved it up to serve you? And am I wiping my hair on, I can't, but on his feet? In other words, what is the thing that I think is my glory? And am I using that to serve Jesus? Does that make sense? What is the thing that I consider to be my glory? It's, it's oftentimes the, the thing you spend most of your time on. Most of your money on. That's what you value the most normally that's normally where your glory lies and are you using that to serve Jesus question I also saw that she was letting go of her old life in a way she was saying and it's, it's a big picture there's, there's this thing that is deeply valuable to her that, that she's had in the cupboard. Maybe she's had it for years because the Bible says she saved it up. And there's a day where she said, I'm going to let go of what I have been valuing, of what I thought would bring me glory. Here comes the day where I'm going to let that go and I'm going to give it to Jesus. I don't know what that looks like in each one of our lives. But I know there comes a day where something in our hearts says, I need to take what I've been saving. I need to take what I've been storing. I, I need to take what I haven't yet used. I need to take that and I, I, need, to, I need to bring it to the feet of Jesus. And I, I need to pour it out on the feet of Jesus. So that I can bring the greatest honor and, the glory, and glory to Him. Isn't that just powerful? The other part is that I saw is that she was able to save it. She was able to keep it. She was able to store it up. I just, we were running yesterday and, and I, we're talking about just consistency. And I hear the words again, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Too many people despise their small beginnings and they aren't able to save up per se until there's something that they can present to Jesus with pride and with passion. Does that make sense? Sometimes we're busy with things that Jesus has actually given us to do, but we don't think they have great impact and so we abandon them. A couple of years ago I spoke in church about the ugly baby Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm an ugly baby. <laughs> Just look deep and lovingly into your wife's eyes. Say, baby, I'm an ugly baby. 
Kan ni? <laughs> I won't name names or anything, but at least one of our kids, when they came out, I was like, what is that? <laughs> That secrets of me. <laughs> but um, anyone seen? Remember the old Pixar movies that used to be great, like Toy Story and Monsters Inc. and and Up. And, and, you know, the ones that used to be amazing, they always got like 98% ratings every time. I was reading a book on, on creativity. The CEO of, of Pixar was, was talking about their process of how they made these amazing movies. Some of you have heard me talk about it, many haven't. But they started to talk about their ugly babies. Because the thing is, after you've made one amazing movie... When you start writing the next movie, you want to compare what's small to what is already great. And so they realized that they need to have open and frank discussions about how to take something that's ugly and develop it into something that will work again. And so they developed a, a healthy culture, a culture of, okay, this thing is ugly, but we're not going to chuck it out. Let's... Let's keep going. Let's keep doing it. But let's be open about feedback and let's, let's learn and let's grow as, as we go. So many of us have little ugly babies and just because the feedback's negative, we're throwing it out. Just because it's not quite as great as perhaps someone else's impressive masterpiece, someone else's achievements, we're going, oh, I don't feel like putting the time in. I don't feel like putting the effort in. And so we're not saving something. We're not growing something that can bring value to God. Others are really good at just consistently building on what God has called them to build. Something that is successful, something that brings glory to God, takes time to build. It takes time to establish it's a process of putting away and putting away and putting away and putting away until you're able to do something magnificent for Jesus. How many of you want to be involved in incredible things? Just one hand in the mother's room. Bless you, Shailene. Just <laughs> You can turn the sound off outside. I'm just going to speak in there. <laughs> So we've got, we've got areas in our lives that, that God wants us to, to bring. We, he wants us to bring our very best. Turn to the person next to you. Say, I'm going to bring my best. I, I saw a funny meme on, on Facebook for with all the introverts in the house. It's a picture of a calendar on Sunday. Blocks out from 6 to, to, to 
8.30 a.m. It says, me preparing to turn to my neighbor. <laughs> it's got a small block, 9 o'clock, me turning to my neighbor. And then the next block from 11 till 4 p.m., me recovering from turning to my neighbor. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry if I make you turn to your neighbor, but it's good. It's good. <laughs> That's why I just felt it's so important that the Father's love comes this morning. Why he needs to put his arm around you. Why he needed to put his arm around us. Because he really has destined each one of us to bring the best. The the perfume that costs a year's salary. That's what it costs. To bring that. And that we can joyfully bring that as an offering. Why? Because we've saved it. We've kept it. Yes, it's going to cost us, but it doesn't hurt. Because we're bringing our best. You know what hurts? Bringing something that's not the best. Bringing something that, that we're not proud to give. That we're not, we're, I mean, have you ever given a birthday gift that you knew you could have given better? And it's kind of like, I love you. But when you give something that you know was the best, man, it's good. And that's what God is calling all of us. He doesn't want, you know, these, He doesn't want a whole group of people that, that just, can't make it and aren't, aren't able to do it. And, and, and then instead of just pressing through and having the consistency to save something, they're giving up. And then they're calling that humility. Like it's in Jesus' hands. And, and Jesus is saying, man, I'm serving you. I'm, I'm, I'm at the table. I'm dining amongst you. And, and there's a call going out to bring our best. But it's not just about you and me. You see, you and me form part, and, and this is why I'm just helping just put in the pieces where, where we come together and we praise, and we believe that by praising, we can actually change communities, we can actually change nations. Why? Because we start to realize God's original intent for us, and we start to realize God's original intent for our communities, our cities, our nations. So, I want to say we're all part of our economy, right? Anyone not part of the economy? Okay, we're all part of the economy. And here we are as believers, and we've got to bring our best so that we can transform the economy. So that God can use our nation for what He's intended it to be used for. There's, there are prophetic words that have been spoken over South Africa for such a long time. From back when I was a kid, I heard about Cape to Cairo. And the flame that is, that is birthed in South Africa and is going to spread through the nations. But if we have a poor economy and a bad reputation, we're not going to be able to do that. So God's calling each individual to save their best and bring it for the glory of God. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking now about tithes and offerings. I'm talking about every business, every workplace has the potential to transform the nation. Do you know what I'm saying? Every system you put in place is, forms part of what God wants to do in our communities, in our cities, in our nations. And we're not going to be that unless we realize our role, unless we come to the feet of Jesus and we come with what we consider to be our glory and we serve Him with our glory. I spoke a sermon a while back and I, and I, I said these points. Maybe you remember it, maybe you don't. I said our economy grows in proportion to our faith. And is the fruit of our first offering to God through the church. Nations' economies are very closely linked to their proportion of faith. Talking about righteous economies, righteous GDPs. If we want to see healthy GDPs, because God wants to use the nations, right? So, it's getting very quiet in this room. Maybe fancy words, economy, GDP, I don't know. Money. (laughs) Economies are linked to God's purpose on that nation. And to our, they grow in proportion to our faith. I just felt God say that over, over, over us as a nation. Our GDP is going to reflect our level of faith. And it's going to grow in proportion to our faith. So if the economy is shrinking, that's because we believe it's going to shrink. But the moment the church turns around and says, this economy is going to grow, watch, it will grow. The moment the church turns around and says, this economy is going to grow, Watch, it will grow. Words of faith spoken out. Um, Yerusha actually brought this to me years ago. Haggai 1 verse 6 to 8. which says, you have sown much, but you have reaped little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you don't have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages has earned them to put them in a bag with holes in it. Anyone feel like that on the 29th or the 1st of the month? Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Consider your glory. Consider what you value, what you spend time doing. It's not a suggestion. It's God saying, church, go and consider your ways. Consider what you value, what you are investing in. And how you have fared. Go up to the hill country and bring lumber and rebuild my house. And I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, says the Lord. So, he's saying the priority, and I'm talking to the, I'm not talking to everyone sitting in this room, eh? right? I'm talking to the church. The priority has been in the wrong place. Our priority has been to have perfume 
that we can use and we spray it and we're like, I hope that guy smells me. Right, Albie? Albie's like, no ways. <laughs> I'm speaking metaphorically. Speaking metaphorically. If I buy that car, I hope that guy sees it. I hope they notice. I hope they see what I've done, what I've achieved. And that's part of where the church is. And hey, if I haven't earned enough, then I'm going to look or feel a certain way. Their opinions matter. Where actually they don't. And, and Jesus is saying, go and labor. Go up onto the hill. Bring the lumber, but bring glory to me. And watch and see what will happen. Psalms 68 verse 29 Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Psalms 33 verse 22 says, let your, let your mercy and loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us in proportion to our waiting and our hoping for you. And I want to say that over our economy, God, may your mercy and your loving kindness be upon our economy in proportion to our waiting for you. Can I say that? Number two, point number two, the economy is not an external force that determines how easy it is or how difficult it is to do business. Rather, it is the collective fruit and the result of our faith. See, the economy flows out of us. It doesn't flow to us. Does that make sense? Some amens in the room? See, it's very easy to go, ah, oh, the economy is down. Oh, well, I accept my... I was going to say demotion. <laughs> oh, well, I accept my bad portion. It's the economy. It's happening. Have you ever been in that position? Where you want to blame it on the fuel price? Like, ah, oh, you know. Believers have to take dominion of a weak economy and transform it into a strong economy. By growing in authority, integrity, and transparency with regards to their own finances. And by bringing a tithe which is an outward expression of their authority. Hear me. Believers need to grow. They need to take dominion of a weak economy. If the economy is weak, it's a good opportunity to take dominion. One person gets it. If the economy is weak, it is a good opportunity. The enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. You see, you take away faith, the enemy comes in with corruption. The enemy has taken dominion and authority over a vulnerable economy. But the enemy doesn't stand a chance in comparison to the church who stands up in its authority. Come on. The enemy doesn't stand a chance in comparison to the church that stands up in authority. That's the key part. 
Church, stand up in your authority. Stand up and take dominion of your day, of your hours, of your planning. Earn the wages that are due to you. Employ the people you're supposed to employ. Don't back down. You need, we need a strong economy. And it's not going to happen through a political party and through voting day. You don't change the economy by voting once every five years. You change the economy by realizing that you're a son of the Most High who has access to the throne room. Remember we said this. The devil doesn't have access to the throne room anymore. You have access and you get to transform you get to transform the economy but your motive has to be in the right place see i've done business for the wrong reasons i've done business to buy the new car i've done business to improve my social standing i've done business for the wrong reasons and it didn't work out Now God says, church, stand up and do business so that you can serve me. So that you can pour out a sweet fragrance that fills the whole house. Because you've brought what is your glory and you've served me with it. Psalm 68 verse 29 says, out of respect for your temple, kings, and I just put in brackets, kings are people who have a spirit of excellence and authority. Out of respect for your temple, they will bring gifts to you. Where are they getting the gifts? Those gifts have been saved up. Those gifts have been stored because of their belief in who they are. Is that good? Are we good? Point number three, don't trade your hope for what is corrupt. Judas traded the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. Think about it. He literally traded the Savior of the world for 30 pieces of silver. It was only when he felt the weight of the silver in his hands that he realized the silver has no worth. Think about it. Think about what you're willing to to, to trade for the weight of silver in your hand. Make sure you're not trading the Savior of the world. Make sure you're not trading Christ. Does that sound heavy? Okay, that sounds heavy. The Bible says it was more profitable for him not to have been born than for him to live only to trade hope for corruption. Oh. Talk about a buck's law. Wasn't me. Okay. <laughs> our attitude towards our finances always reflects our level of trust and hope in Jesus Christ. This is so true. Our attitude towards our finances always reflects our level of trust and hope in Jesus Christ. This is, this is a freeing statement. 
I'm not trying to point out or, you know, I'm speaking to myself here. I'm going, I need to have more faith and more trust in Jesus. I need to have a better attitude towards finances. I need, I need to go to the Father. I need to say, Father, I need to have way more hope in you than I have. Paul writes in Timothy, he says, But those who crave to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction and miserable perishing. For the love of money is a root of all evils. It is through this craving that some men have been led astray and have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. And the love of money is what Judas had, where he had what was most valuable to the whole world sitting right in front of him. And he loved the silver more than he loved Jesus. I mean... The prophets had been prophesying for generations. Jesus said, you, they wish to see what you see before me. There he sits at the table with a guy that got raised from the dead a week ago. And he's worrying about the money. That's the love of money. That's the real love of money. That's why it is the root of all kinds of evil. Not because it's money, not because it goes into your bank, not because you can do things with it. It's because you want to trade it for what is most valuable. So, here are three things, four things I want to pray for this morning. And if this is you, we want to pray supernatural healing in these areas and trust God that he can restore these situations. Sometimes he's going to give you a strategy. Sometimes he's going to give you a plan because he needs you to put your hand into the soil. Sometimes he will come and bring supernatural change. Does that make sense? Number one, we want to pray today that debts are paid off. The Bible says, oh, no man, nothing. Just in simple terms. If you have to go into debt, make sure that it's a secure debt, that you have an asset that is more valuable than the debt you owe. Don't have unsecured debt. Unsecured debt will trap you. Maybe you know that. <laughs> we know in our lives we don't have unsecured debt. We have assets that cost more than what we owe. We own our house and our car. We want to pray for debts to be paid off. All debts to be paid off. Our prayer is that God will bring supernatural deliverance to our hearts and our wallets and bank accounts. First deliverance to the heart. God's not going to heal the bank account and the wallet before he heals the heart. Because if he yields the bank account and the wallet and the heart's not yield, it's going to just go back to the same thing. So God, we pray for debts to be paid off. Number one, I know that Jesus Christ paid for all my debts. And there is salvation on the cross. And I look to the cross and my heart is set free 
from all guilt and from all shame. And this confidence comes. It says, I am a, I am a son of God. And I've been set free and I have been delivered. Is that good? Number two, we, and we've prayed this in church before. So I, this is something we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna keep praying. When we, when we get together and we talk about finances, this is something we're going to pray for. Number two, we want to pray for job satisfaction. Yeah, our prayer is that every person will have full job satisfaction. And I believe that means that our, what we do aligns with the prophetic calling on our lives. That we're, we're choosing our jobs and we're choosing where we work based on the prophetic calling on our lives. Someone say amen. amen. <laughs> we need to pay our bills. Anyone not need to pay your bills? We know that. But some people keep their jobs just because they need to pay the bills, not realizing that God has given them a calling and a place. Your gift makes a way for you. That's God's word. And he wants to put us in a place where our gift comes alive in us. Monday should be the best day of your week. Sunday? Okay. But I mean in contrast, you know, in comparison to the Monday blues that people get. Why? Because... And that's the reality. Sunday is my best day of the week. Monday is the best day of my week. Tuesday is the best day of my week. Wednesday is the best day of my week. Why? Because I'm excited to do what I get to do. I know that God's calling is on my life. If you don't have a call on your life, you better be at Prophetic next week. And next week. What, two weeks' time, Right? Okay, I'm just talking to the church here. Okay, here's what's important. God, we're talking about job satisfaction. God can change your environment, and it's, and it's important to have respect for yourself and ask Him to change your envi- environment so that it benefits you and your family's well-being. A lot of people work in an unhealthy vi- environment. And, and I want to say here's why. Um, it's often who we've chosen to serve that determines where we end up and what environment we end up. And the Bible says you can't serve God and serve mammon. Have you heard that? That doesn't mean you mustn't get funding or finances. What it means is mammon is often associated with the desire for money. But the truth is mammon is actually a spirit that causes people to hand over the control of their lives to something or someone else. That's what mammon is. And then there's a resulting distrust in God's supernatural providence. And it focuses, it focuses attention off onto what we don't have. That's what mammon does. You can't serve God and to mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. What did I say? Your identity is forged, forged by your trust in God. That's where your identity is forged. It's forged by your trust in God. 
So you need to have a prophetic word over your life. You need to understand who you are, what you were called to do. And you need to do everything to get into the place where you can serve God with the best of what you have at all times. Because then God will honor you, as we read earlier. Number three, I want to pray for honor in the workplace. Honor is a key sign that God is in the workplace. How many of you need some more honor in your office? Some more honor in your workplace? You get to bring honor to your workplace. You get to demonstrate honor in your workplace. Our prayer is that bosses and managers will develop systems that honor and uplift every single person that works for them or amongst them. That's, that's our prayer, that, 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 that there'll be a system that honors people for who God called them to be. Wouldn't that be amazing if that's, that was how the world saw going to work? Hey, we want you to come to work because we want to honor you for who you are. Huh? We want to honor you. And, and then if that person steps out of line, or does, you, that, that boss is going, listen, that's not who God created you to be. That's not who he intended you to be. Let me, sh- let me just point you back to who God intended. Imagine that was how your disciplinary meetings went. Does that sound good? It's real. Lastly, number four, we want to pray for creativity and innovation. So often when faced with headwinds, like our nation has, Either we aren't creative or innovative and we want to run for the hills or a spirit of creativity and innovation comes up. And we want to call that out in our community. Is that good? Okay, so if you agree with me, let's stand. Father, we thank you for just your word spoken this morning, that you speak to the depth of our hearts. We thank you that first you come as a father with great mercy, with great kindness. And you want to put your arm around us, as you do. And you point us in the right direction. And you're saying this morning, come son, come and daughter, let me show you what I have in store for you. Let me show you what I've planned for your life. And let me guide you each step of the way. And it's okay if we fall and mess up. You come and you lift us up. Your word says you will prevent our feet from hitting the rocks, from being hurt, and from stumbling. And so you come this morning and you lift us up in your hands. Lord, we want to ask for four things this morning. And we want to declare four things over our lives, over this church's life. Father, we ask, Lord, that debts will be fully paid off. Father, that you would come and supernaturally transform our hearts. That you would come do a great work of deliverance in our hearts. Showing us that our debts have been paid. But Lord, will you surprise us? Will you surprise us supernaturally? Will you set us free from having to owe someone? When you've called us to a life of freedom. To a life of glory. 
Teach us how to save. Teach us how to put aside that which is good so that we can bring that and give glory to you with the best that we have. Father, will you bring great job satisfaction to our people, Lord? Lord, will you, will you speak a direct word over every person in this room? Lord, that they'll be able to go to work and enjoy every second of their day. That we can enjoy every second of our day because we know we're walking in the direction that you've called us to walk. That you've, that you've assigned us a special place where we can have meaning, where we can have purpose, and where we can see that purpose just flourish. Lord, we want to we give honor to you this morning. We want to give glory, and, and we want to step out each and every day and give glory and honor to you in everything that we do. So, Father, awaken that voice in us. Help us to trust your guidance every single day. Lord, we pray once again for honor in our workplaces. Lord, not just honor in our workplaces, but, but honor in our nation, Father, that the voice of honor will rise up. That people won't push each other down to get up, Father, but that there will be a call of greatness that will go out. That supernaturally people will start honoring, the, they'll start honoring you that they see in others. That they'll be calling out your glory, your, perp your perfect intent over every person's life. Lord, help us establish cultures of honor throughout our city, in every business, in every place of work. Help us do that in Jesus' name. Lord, and we pray for great creativity and inspiration. Teach us how to create. You've put the mind of the Creator in us. Come and touch our minds today. Help us not feel stressed and anxious. Help us not feel these feelings that block out waves of creativity, but release that in our church. But in that, Lord, help us to trust you. That as we create with your guidance, that we will have the patience to see it grow and become established because you, you blow your breath of life over it. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Thanks for... Lord, we just want to... Say thank you for your word. Say thank you for your spirit. You said go and wait in the city until we receive the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Holy Spirit was released to do. To inspire us, to lift us up, to counsel us, to guide us, to correct us. And we just rest in the safety that you, that you give us. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Be blessed. May you have an incredible Sunday. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.